Mark 1. We're, we started last time with an uh, introduction, if you will, to the book of Mark. And I hope this study will be just a, a blessing to you. Um, it's already been a blessing to me to dive into some issues here in uh, the book of Mark. Uh, Mark is unique among the Gospels, um, just in its action. Mark is a Gospel of action. Uh, there are more, as far as the Greek language goes, there are more imperfect verbs in the book of Mark than all the other Gospels. And what that means is, is when you're looking at Mark, you're, you're, you're getting a continuous motion picture. There are, there, 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 there are not these, these, these uh, perfected snapshots that you're looking at, a snapshot here or a snapshot there, but it's continuous action. And, and as I said last week, the, the, uh, the word that is used throughout Mark is in the English uh, here in the King James is straightway, immediately. This happened immediately. That happened immediately. That happened, and we saw last time that it was that the audience is different. Uh, the audience was a Roman audience, whereas Matthew was written for a Jewish audience, and and uh, Luke for a Greek audience. Um, Mark was written for a Roman audience, and. It zeroes in on the acts of Christ. The very first verse is what we saw last week. Let's read again. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now that is what the scriptures say of Him. He is the Son of God. Christ is the Son of God. This is what He died for. He said, the Jews said, we have a law. That, and he said he was the son of God, and therefore by his, our law he must die. This is what he was accused of. This is what he was put on the cross for. Um, that he's, in fact, they mocked him for it at the foot of the cross. He says, if you be the son, come down. If you be the son of God. But this is exactly what was preached. And it was known exactly what this meant. And Mark was presenting the greatness of the person that was put on the cross. And it says, this is the good news. The Son of God, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And this is what I'm presenting to you. This is the beginning of His gospel. And then he, he gets right into not the background of the birth... Not the background of creation, uh, not even the background of the nativity, but he gets into the declaration of the gospel itself from here. So Mark begins simply with this gospel being declared. 
And where was it first declared? It was declared by name, by a man named John the Baptist. Let's read the very first few verses. We're not going to get through much of it, uh, much of these, all of these today, but we're going to get through at least the first uh, three verses. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of a, of a skin about his loins, and he did eat locust and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am unworthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. So the epic story of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begins. And what follows in what we've read in, the ne- in these next verses is a contextual description of the ministry of John the Baptist who first heralded the Son of God. John is a true figure of history. Just like Mark was a true figure of history that we talked about last week and we talked about his life and, and we talked about the, just the, the, the controversy that he's even already introduced here uh, declaring Christ to be the Son of God from the very outset of this. But John also is a figure of history. John the Baptist, who first heralded Christ, uh, whose life and ministry we know most because we read the New Testament, uh, is described here. And when I say he's real, no one doubts that John the Baptist existed. Uh, we can read about John the Baptist from, from contemporary historians that lived in that day. Josephus talked about John the Baptist. He described his ministry. He described his ministry in a way that corresponds exactly with what the New Testament said and does not contradict. His life and ministry here it remains a point that is unchallenged by contemporaries of his day, including the enemies of Christ. The enemies of Christ... Uh, if Christians were making spurious claims about John the Baptist's ministry, because John the Baptist was important to them. We see that because John the Baptist is a part of all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke wrote about it in, in Acts. And John, and John the Baptist preparing the way for Christ and pointing to Christ and saying who Christ was, 
was important to the message of the early Christian. And if it was false, if John the Baptist did not testify of Jesus Christ the way that the Christian said, then it would have been easily argued against. But there is no evidence of that. There are no, there are, there are no enemies of Christ that say, you know, John the Baptist really didn't teach what the Christians say that John the Baptist was teaching. Even Josephus uh, would not say John the Baptist was, was not teaching those things that the Christians are saying that he taught. Uh, this is an unchallenged point of history that we're reading. Uh, the enemies of Christ have never challenged that. And Christ and Christ declared John to be a witness of him. Uh, hold your fingers here in Mark 1 and go over to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. And we're going to be spending some time just doing a Bible study about these prophecies about John. And then next week we're going to dig a little bit deeper into his ministry. But I want, I want to drive this point home. When the Gospels present John, they are presenting what is true about John's ministry and about John's claims because it remains an unchallenged point. It never was a challenged point. This is what Jesus said. John chapter 5, verse 31. He says, If I bear witness of myself... This is Jesus speaking in your red-letter edition of your Bible... Jesus says, if I bear witness of myself, by the way, I want to point this out. I was listening to a, a, a Muslim debate uh, with a Christian yesterday. Uh, it's, uh, Jesus Christ, when he came, was not saying, believe the law. He was saying, believe in me. Amen? His message was his self. When Jesus preached, he was drawing people to himself. He was saying, he was saying, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Don't get that confused. Uh, the Muslims say Jesus was only teaching that, he ne- that we need to keep the law of Allah. That's not true. Jesus was teaching to believe in Him and trust in Him. All right, so here He's saying, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another that bears witness of me. He's saying, my witness about myself is not enough. It's not enough in any court of the law. It's not enough to be received. Let me give you another witness, he says. There is another witness of me. And I know that the witness which he witnesses of me, of me, is true. You sent unto John, that is John the Baptist, and he bear witness unto the truth. But I receive not the testimony from man, but these things I say unto you that my that might be saved. He, that is John the Baptist, was a burning and shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. They knew what John taught. They knew that John was pointing to Jesus and saying who Jesus was. He was a burning, and and they were willing at that point in time to rejoice. Oh, how fickle people are. (laughs) Amen? They are. So that's John. John. Jesus said, John witnessed of me. Mark, as we have already read, agrees completely with that assessment. The apostles continued to proclaim the message of John concerning Christ. That's why we find John proclaiming Christ 
in every single gospel that has been written. Uh, here, Mark asserts him as the un, an unalienable beginning of the gospel itself because he's the first declarer of it. I want us to note just four things, and we're only going to get to the first one this morning, but four things from this text that we have just read this morning from Mark about the beginning of the gospel. The beginning of the gospel points out that it, was, that it had expectancy. Again, what Christ did did not happen in a vacuum. It was expected to happen. And then we see the gospel, beginning of the gospel in its actuality. In verse 4, John did baptize. As a manner of the fulfillment of verse 2 and 3, John did baptize. And then we see its reception, which is, by the way, the expected reception. All of Judea and Jerusalem did go out and was baptized of John. Then we see its humility. What was John like? Jesus Christ will later say, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? Someone dressed in really nice clothing? No, you went to someone dressed in camel's hair and eaten locusts. The humility of the first preacher of the gospel. And then the specificity of it. What did John preach? There is one coming. And He's mighty. And what I'm doing by putting you in water is just a small picture of the greater work that He is going to do. So that, that's the five points. I want to talk about its expectancy, its actuality, its reception, its humility, and its specificity. All from the very beginning proclaimed of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So first, this week we're only going to talk about the expectancy of the beginning. The beginning of the gospel is, that's still the subject, we have not finished the first sentence yet, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written. So this is the important part. His argument first is this. It is, the beginning of the gospel is, as it was written, it would be. Mark begins actually where Isaiah and Malachi, as prophets, left off. He wasn't starting a new message. He was proclaiming the good news from a story that had already been told. The good news, we don't start with the good news. We always start with the bad news if I say... If I say uh, if I say, which one do you want first, the good news or bad news? Most of you all would say, I want the bad news first. Uh, bad news always comes first, or else the good news doesn't make sense. But the, so he begins right where Malachi left off, and, and uh, Isaiah left off. By the way, I want to point out this. Mark, this is one of only two references to the Old Testament Scriptures in the entire book of Mark. The only, the, the only other reference to the Old Testament Scriptures is Mark chapter 15 and verse 28 where he says, As it was written, 
Uh, I forgot what it says. As it is written, he shall be numbered among the transgressors, I believe is what it says. So he makes reference again to the book of Isaiah, which is very interesting. How many times was the Old Testament quoted by Matthew? Bunches. <laughs> How many times was it referred to in Luke? Uh, a fair amount. Luke referred to the, te- to, the, to the Old Testament scriptures. How many times by Mark? Twice. Once in the beginning and once toward the end. So, this, so it, it's not surprising though because who's his audience? He's not reasoning with Jews from the Scriptures. He is reasoning with Romans about the glory of the one who died. So it's not surprising since the Roman audience was, who was not, a Roman, the Roman audience was not necessarily interested in the Scriptures itself. However, I want us to note, just because Mark does not spend time reasoning from the Scriptures, this is how his argument begins. This is how his gospel begins. It was written. So he hasn't ignored the Scriptures. The Scriptures are mentioned here because Mark was not going to divorce his reader from a foundation. Our foundation is what we believe was what was written. What's Mark's foundation? What we believe is what was written. Whatever may be said about Christ and His coming... It's rooted and grounded in what the Scriptures had already proclaimed. So where does Mark start? He starts with what the Scriptures said before. He starts with the context. What is the context from which the Gospel must be proclaimed? There is an important variant here, and I want to talk about it between what's known as the critical text and the Byzantine text, the Byzantine tradition has exactly what is written here. It says, as it is written in the prophets. In the prophets. So, that's plural, prophets. The critical reading says, that which is written by Isaiah, the prophet, singular, This is an instance which I believe uh, that the Byzantine reading is correct. And I want to give you a a reason for that, and we can argue. First, the apparent de-emphasis on Scripture's citation for the sake of the Roman reader would seem to preclude a specific mention of Isaiah. Second, the context quotes two prophets, not one. And it begins not with Isaiah but with Malachi. The quotes, and then quotes Isaiah second and not immediately. So it would seem odd necessarily. It would be hard to imagine a genuine argument for the critical reading. It's, but I will give it to you because I want to make sure that you all know about, what the, know about this text. It is far more likely, though, that Mark was providing a general foundation to the reader that the prophets, plural, had spoken and not insinuating that this is built on Isaiah alone. The argument could be that the quote from Malachi is not original. But it would be much more difficult to explain, much, more, much easier to explain how the word, one single word, the name Isaiah, had creeped in from the margins than, all, than an entire quotation of Scripture. 
But I'm not going to spend time specifically arguing this. I just want to point out that there, that is the variant. Now, there are times where there is one prophet that is mentioned that, and two prophets are quoted. Uh, so, for instance, Roman 9, Romans 9.27, Matthew 21.4. So it's not beyond the pale to think that. But it's very hard to get, this, get that from the text. I think this is an instance where what we have here is most likely uh, truth. It says, as it is written in the prophets, plural. Nevertheless, the sufficiency, this, so the sufficiency of Scripture is not pointed aside. The point is, though, and I just wanted to make sure that variant was talked about, but the point is simply this. Mark is saying this was expected. Turn to Malachi chapter 3. First, hold your fingers. I want, while you're turning to Malachi 3, I want us to reread the text because there's an important difference. He says, as it is written in the prophets, this is Mark, Behold, I send my messengers before thy face, or your face, which shall prepare your way before you. I'm just... Re- just using the, the more, uh, the more uh, understandable uh, there, and it says of the thee and thy. So we're, we have that the way that it reads. Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Now, let's read Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, the exact quote, sort of, but a little different. What? Behold, I send my messenger, and he shall prepare thy way before me. And the Lord, Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, says the Lord of hosts. So that's Malachi. Stay, stay here for a second, and I want to get to the difference that we read there. But note what Malachi says. Note the exactness. The Lord. Now, when you're... The Lord of hosts is the one speaking. He's the I in Malachi. Says the Lord of hosts at the end of that verse. That's all capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's Yahweh, Jehovah, Jehovah speaking. I will send my messenger. So the Lord, Yahweh, will first send His messenger to prepare the way before who in Malachi? Me. So who's coming? All right. Jesus is the one coming in the New Testament. Who's coming in the Old Testament? Jehovah. Jehovah himself is coming. All right. So we, we see that. Uh, now, who does that make Jesus? 
Jesus is Jehovah. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. Amen? Uh, there, there's no, no doubt about it. Uh, so, so here Malachi is specific. The Lord Yahweh will first send His messenger to prepare the way before Himself. And then the Lord Adonai will come suddenly or swiftly to His temple. It's not the first time we see the Yahweh Adonai uh, 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 parallel. The Lord Jehovah said to my Lord Adonai, that's the Messiah, sit at my right, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool, Psalm 110. All right, but I, I don't want to chase that rabbit here, but I want to say this. The Father will send first one to prepare His way, and then the Lord who, by the way, is also Jehovah, <laughs> will come. This is what is happening in our text. John would later say it more exactly. Turn to John chapter 1. What I want to highlight, and what Mark is highlighting is, is God is sending a messenger before the Messiah comes. God is sending His messenger. What does John now say about John the Baptist? John chapter 1. I said this is going to be a little bit more of a Bible study today, and we're going to be flipping around. And I, ho- I hope, hope your, uh, your thumbs don't get sore. <laughs> but John chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. We see in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Uh, again, we have the deity of Christ proclaimed. Christ is God, and He's also with God. So we have a distinction of persons. So, everything was made by him. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God. There was a man, man sent, from God, sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all men might through him believe. Notice, I hope you've kept your fingers there in Malachi, but contextually speaking, Malachi chapter 3 sets up this idea that God is going to be soon sending a messenger. And then in chapter 4, he comes back to the same idea. He says in verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah. That's going to become an important piece later, and we're going to talk about that. Behold, I will send you Elijah. You know, still, still at, a, at Passover, the Jews will leave an empty chair at the Passover meal for who? Elijah. Yeah, so they, they, they still believe Elijah is going to come. Uh, Jesus says they missed him. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the hearts of the children uh, uh, children to the fathers and so on. But in verse 2, he says, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. This coming of the Lord is called the Son, the Light. Here that same idea is brought forth in John, or First, or John chapter 1, he was come to bear witness of the light. So that expectancy there in Malachi chapter 3 and 4 was for the coming of this light. But John 
God was going to send a messenger before him. All the gospel writers made the same connection. God the Father, before he sent the Son, elected and sent his messenger to declare the Son. Luke recorded the election of John from the womb. Luke chapter 1. We're just learning a little bit about what was expected here. Luke chapter 1. Verse 13. Luke 1, 13. But the angel said unto him, this is John the Baptist's daddy, uh, but the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for your prayers heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. And he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall, be, shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for Kurios, the Lord. This is what John was chosen out to do and was commissioned there to go into the wilderness. The father of John said this in Luke 1, verse 76, if you're, still, if you're still there. He says, And thou, child, Zechariah speaking to John the Baptist as he's holding them as a baby, shalt be called a prophet of the highest. I will send my messenger. This is what Mark is bringing forth. I will send my messenger. And, you're, and he says, you, you shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord. Comparing the text of Malachi, I want to come back to the difference between how Malachi is read, and it's not a mistake, and how Mark is read. The Lord is sending His messenger in Malachi before Himself. By the way, that highlights the unity of God. When the Messiah comes, it would be Jehovah. Amen? The Messiah is the second person of the Godhead, the Son of God. God Himself would be heralded by a messenger uh, He would choose and send before He Himself would go. That's how you read Malachi. That is also when you read Malachi in the Septuagint is how the Septuagint reads. Mark has the Son of God as distinct and refers to the Son in the second person. Read again in Mark. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, thy face, which shall prepare thy way before you or thee there in the King James. Uh, I, so this is not a mistake. This is purposeful difference in the reading. And how we know it's not a mistake is, by the way, 
This is the exact same way that Jesus himself quoted it about himself. Um, Turn to Matthew 11. We can also go to Luke chapter 7, verse 27 for the same wording. Jesus Christ, this is the way Jesus Christ quoted Malachi. I'm in Mark and I'm turning right to get to Matthew. That's how confused I am. Matthew eleven, ten, And we're going to get more to the context of this next week. But Matthew eleven ten. just as Jesus speaking, where He says of John, This is He of whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. Before thy face. So this is the way Jesus quoted Malachi. And this is the way Mark quotes it. Mark is simply following the reading that Jesus Christ gave. The high, this highlighted the distinction of the Son that was sent by the Father... The Son was distinct from the one that sent Him. It is Christ Himself that gave this reading to it. Mark, as Christ Himself did, interpreted Malachi in the spirit of the fulfillment of the Son of God. The Son, His face, His very presence was coming. And John prepared a way before him. Hence, Mark is highlighting the beginning of his gospel in the light of scriptural fulfillment. This is how he declares that this is what was said to have come. I want to get, I don't know how long I've been. How long have I been? Okay, I'm going to try to get to the second quote here. But the messenger was to prepare a way. By the way, this is a very exactness. Uh, John had a real exact job. Uh, This prepare a way, this idea of preparing for this event, it's intense preparation, skillfully using the tool according to a design that God has. Uh, So this is the same wording of Scripture for that word. uh, John the Baptist would later describe... His ministry, he says, now the axe is laid to the root. That's how he describes his ministry. But then Mark turns to Isaiah. Let's talk about Isaiah real quick. The critical reading says Isaiah. I, 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 think, I, think, uh, I think it's a good reading that we have here is the prophets. But he starts with Malachi. Now he comes to Isaiah. If I can ever find Mark again. Somewhere here. Mark chapter 1. We have the reading of Isaiah. The voice, who is this messenger? Now he says who the messenger is. The messenger is the voice of one crying. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Turn to Isaiah 40. Let's see this in the text in the Old Testament. Isaiah 40, written hundreds of years before these events. He says, comfort ye, comfort ye, my my people, says your God. 
your sins have been judged already. Verse 2, he goes, then he says, The voice of him that cries in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight in the desert, a highway for our God. Who's coming again? Our God. Amen? Our God is coming. And he says in verse 5, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. The context of Isaiah is about the revealing of the Lord to the eyes of men. In the interpretation of Malachi, the Father is addressing the Son. In the interpretation of Isaiah, the Father is addressing the Messenger giving the messenger his parameters. And before he is identified for Israel, or before that he's identified with Israel, he's simply a voice crying in the wilderness. Think about that description of John the Baptist. He was a voice crying carrying a sense of urgency, demanding a response. That's what my babies do when they cry. They are voices crying, and they're demanding responses. <laughs> they're, 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 they're declaring, and there, there's something urgent going on, and, uh, and uh, I need you to respond. That's what a voice crying is, right? Not saying that... I'm, I'm, I'm not defending that statement. That's just what a voice crying is. Uh, He showed, lift up your voice and cry, Isaiah 50. Show my people their sin. He urgently told the people to prepare. Their Lord is coming. The gospel began with one calling men to repentance. Urgently. Get ready. Someone's coming. The one is coming. The Lord is coming. The one mightier than me is coming. There was a sense of urgency about John the Baptist's message. When asked, in fact, John the Baptist in John chapter 1, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you. But when asked, this is what John called himself. And we'll have to deal maybe sometime with, with, uh, with this idea of, of Elijah. But this is what he called, who are you? He says, I'm a voice crying in the wilderness to make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. That's what John said about himself. I'm a voice crying. I'm the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 40. John knew who he was in the light of Isaiah and knew the urgency of the hour. He's a voice crying. A voice crying is a title that draws attention away from the voice and towards its message. The thing it's announcing. What was the message? It was simply this. The Lord's coming. That was the expectation. Suddenly there's going to come someone that's going to just start announcing this event. And they're going to start declaring, the Lord's right around the corner. Jesus himself declared that when what we read in Matthew 11 declared that this was who this is. It's clear that because Jesus himself went on to quote Isaiah 40 as well. 
And it was clear that John focused on the heart of the people. Let me ask you this in closing as we draw everything to a close. Is your heart prepared right now if Christ was to come? That's what John was doing. He was preparing the hearts of the people. John was a preacher, not of, the, not, not of the gospel in per se, but he was a preacher of the law. He was the last of the law and the prophets. That's who he was. And he, he did focus. He focused on the heart of the in, in Luke chapter 3, for instance, he zeroed in on their conduct. What should we do? Well, uh, be content with your wages and, and do good and give away your coat to the people that need it and, and things of that nature. They called for honesty and charity and for hearts ready to be judged by God. But he was a preacher of the law. But he was a preacher of the law that was leading people to Christ. The law is a schoolmaster. The law is a schoolmaster that leads people to Christ. Galatians 3.24 In this sense, we have that quote in Mark, uh, Malachi 4 where he says he turns the hearts of the children to the fathers, the hearts of the fathers to the children. What's, what's he talking about? He is renewing the teaching of the law. Psalm 78, fathers teach your children. Where... The fathers are attent again in teaching the truth of the Lord, truths of the Lord's law to the children. The children are turning again their ears to hear what they hear these truths. But he's doing so not in hope, because he is actually saying, Christ is coming. And I'm here to announce him. It's interesting that he's in the wilderness in our text. That's what my that's what was brought out in Isaiah. Moses led the people through the wilderness. By Moses came the law. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Here we have the law announcing this very thing. It was from this prepared people that Christ first preached. By the way, where did did Christ get His very first disciples from? Most of His disciples from John. In fact, that didn't even stop. You get to Acts chapter 19 years later. There are people that must have traveled and went away and didn't know that Christ had come and they were and they were they were they they, they were preaching John the Baptist still, including Apollos in Acts 18. And then they said and then someone preached to him and said, "But Christ came." And they believed and they were baptized and they gave witness to the, that the Holy Spirit had come upon them. His heart, his ministry was still preparing hearts for the Lord years later. What does this tell me? It tells me it's just one simple thing. We need the law first. That's what John was doing when he was pointing towards Christ as he was preaching Again, the truths of God's law. And there was no ambiguity with John. He, had a, he made a people ready in expectation to receive the Lord. He says, wear out the path for him. That's what that last part there says here in Mark where it says, uh, make his path straight. Just make it good and rutted and worn and ready for him. 
Mark, Mark, make a path for God as simple as you can. There should be a simple point A to point B line between your heart and God. Make it so. Stop turning aside to the left hand or right or right and, and making your way to God something crooked, but make it straight. That's what was declared here by John, where he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it was from that preaching, that expected preaching, that expected heralding, from which John the Baptist arose. I know that might have been a little dry this morning, and I hope it wasn't. I hope it was uh, something that you that uh, made sense. But there was an expectancy that Mark wanted to bring forth. It wasn't just, oh, well, let's start to preaching Christ. No, it came from the pages of Scripture that there was one coming, and before that one came, there was going to be a messenger that was sent by God crying out, that He is indeed here. He is indeed coming. All right, let's stand and be